This scripture is taken from um, the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. Chapter 5, verse 17 to 42. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported. The jail was securely locked, with the guards standing outside. But when we went to open the gates, no one was there. When the temple, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death? But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor and his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill him. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his priests, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do with these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theodos who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning 
and doing these things merely on their own, they will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer the grace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. The word of God. Please be seated. Our loving Heavenly Father, once again, we come into your presence to acknowledge that you are the Messiah, you are the Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. Your word will never be shaken, will never be changed, will never be destroyed. Even, even though this entire world, the creation, the physical world as we know it, might one day be destroyed, but your word says it will never be destroyed. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for giving us so precious a gift of your word. As we meditate upon it, as we think upon it, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, and that it might, might uh, make an impact, that we might hear what you want us to hear, and through it, we might obey and might transform our lives and the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the passage that we are going to work on today is something that interests me in a special way because I've meditated on Gamaliel's approach uh, to his thinking for a long time now. The portion that we looked at today is a long one, but I was not able to really break it into smaller chunks because we have to take in the whole story and then look at all the competing forces um, in this narrative. And from that, we can draw out principles um, that we can use for our own understanding. So that's our task for today. So first, let's take a quick look at the story itself, right? The apostles, we know, were doing great work, healing people, preaching the gospel, transforming people's lives. As a result, there is this incredible spiritual fruit and life brewing in the community. On the other hand, the temple leaders who had all the titles and all the, the official prestige were really doing nothing spiritually compared to what these apostles were doing. So this made them really jealous. Now, what did they do as a result? They arrest the apostles one more time and they arrange for a public trial. The purpose of this, obviously, was to put on a show of power in front of the apostles. So let's see what happened at the showdown. Actually, it was rather entertaining because 
these people are, are here to project their power to the apostles. And what they find is, is that these apostles who they had arrested and put under armed guard were not in prison. The, the gates were still locked. The, the guards were still there and were completely clueless that the people that they were guarding had disappeared from the prison. I mean, talk about divine power and miracles, right? So, well, everyone in the temple was completely shocked and they were not knowing what to do at this point. And suddenly they find that, um, you know, some other guards uh, come and report to the, uh, the big wigs that, you know what, these guys have disappeared from the jail, but they are right there standing in temple courts and preaching away freely um, and um, with, with no fear. Right. So, of course, at this point, everybody is, is shaken and what's going on here. Um, looks like our show of power is not, is not going so well. But anyway, all they can do is uh, try to arrest them and bring them in for the trial that they had planned. Now, the trial itself is full of interesting dynamics. But at the heart of it is a simple question. Right? We gave you strict orders not to teach in this man's name, meaning Jesus. And the question is, why are you still doing it? Right? And to that simple question, the apostles give a simple answer. Well, because we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, after that, they follow that with a, a, a statement of a, a careful presentation of the gospel, really. Right now, their presentation. Now, whenever you present the gospel, you are hoping that your listener would actually reflect and repent, and maybe receive the gift of eternal salvation. Right? I mean, this is the intent of anybody who's preaching the gospel. But that was not the effect that was uh, seen at that point. Um, in fact, in this instance, when the apostles preached um, the gospel, the authorities were so enraged with the apostles' words that they wanted to kill them, right? So it is at this point that one of the Pharisees, the famous and universally ex uh, respected Gamaliel, calls a stop to the proceedings and asks for the apostles to be sent out for a while so he could present some things for the Sanhedrin to consider. When this was arranged, Gamaliel then proceeds to remind all of his highly upset colleagues that if you look at the pattern of history, there were many leaders who, and pretenders who in the recent past tried to gather followers, in an attempt to start movements that were centered around themselves, right? But the common thread in all of those stories is that one day they were captured, they were killed, the leaders were, and the movement that they were trying to lead soon fizzled out um, very shortly after the leaders were killed. In light, in light of that fact, Gamaliel offered this approach, this advice. He told his colleagues, 
it would be better to leave these men alone because if their movement was anything like the others that came before them, he was bound to die a quick and similar death. On the other hand, if their movement was really from God, then it would not die, no matter what they did, and they would be found in the very uh, undesirable position of fighting God himself, right? So what Gamaliel was saying was that whether this movement is from God or not from God, really there's nothing that you can gain from trying to uh, fight with these apostles. And on the other hand, there is a big danger that to yourself, um, if you are actually going to be opposing God, right? Now, the beautiful thing about this presentation that Gamaliel made is that it was very effective in carrying the day. It was also important enough that God arranged for it to be recorded in the Bible for people of every generation to examine it for all eternity, right? So if it was that important to God, then it should be important to us too. And so we need to look at Gamaliel's strategy a little bit more closely to understand the principles of it. So let me start by laying out the landscape that Gamaliel was operating in. It is possible that he was a secret believer. We don't know that, the text doesn't tell us that, but it is possible that he became a, a believer later on. And the reason I say that is because anytime someone's name is mentioned in scripture, it is because when the scripture was written in those days and read to people, if somebody was known to the people that they were reading these letters out to, then it would be relevant for them to know the names. And so sometimes you don't hear names of people, sometimes you do hear names of people, and anytime you hear a name, it's because they, at that point, had become prominent leaders in the church subsequently. So this is possible, but whether it happened or not, I'm not pinning the rest of what I'm going to say on that fact, because we also know that God can use even outsiders, for example, King Cyrus in the Old Testament to accomplish his purposes, right? Anyway, I want us to consider the dynamics of the conversation that took place in the Sanhedrin that day. At that point in the Sanhedrin, as we already noted, the religious leaders did all this. They called in the apostles, they arrested them because of one reason, right? They were feeling very jealous and very threatened by what the apostles were doing. I, I mentioned the apostles were not trying to threaten anybody, but they did feel threatened. And the problem is, when a whole group of people are feeling threatened, there is this mob mentality that kicks in, right? As you know, in a mob, no one is thinking straight. Typically, one person in a mob um, sparks an action, says or does something stupid, and everyone will follow no matter how ridiculous those actions are. And at that point, it is hard for any one individual to stop the madness or even feel that they can do anything when the crowd is going in one mad direction. It's kind of like a swollen river with a very strong and heavy current. 
The only option if you are in such a river is to go with the flow. And that's typically how crowd behavior is. What is remarkable in this situation is that Professor Gamaliel too was in that crowd and he had every reason to feel as threatened by what the apostles did as any of the other colleagues of his in that situation. And he would have also felt the same pressure to go along with the crowd as everybody else was feeling. But the fact that he did not itself shows you his remarkably independent thinking. Gamaliel is not somebody who simply went with the flow. If he did not think that the direction of the flow made sense. He was also not somebody who was taken in by emotions. He was somebody who wanted to look at the facts and analyze the situation objectively. To do that, he very effectively calls a timeout, asks the apostles to be sent out, then ensures that his colleagues are not simply posturing. And after that, he presents his arguments very carefully. As he makes his case, he also does not ask his listeners to believe anything new, because new beliefs take time to establish themselves. What he does ask them to do is to consider the patterns in this present situation that are similar to the patterns from recent history that they were already aware of. When people who claimed specialness gathered a following, he reminded them, and when they were killed, their followers disappeared. This is something that they are already aware of. In this case, before them as well, that the apostle's leader was killed. What he is directly saying is that if Jesus was just like one of those pretenders, this movement would fizzle out too. But what Gamaliel is implying, without it being specifically stated here, is also extremely important. What he is telling his colleagues is don't simply assume that Jesus is like all the others. Right? Before you come to that conclusion, you have to examine the facts and let the facts lead you to the truth. In other words, don't assume something is a fact just because you don't like what you see in front of you. The true test for Jesus' claim is what happened to his movement after his death. Right? So in the end, he advised them to let the apostles go because the truth of who Jesus is, he said, would emerge on its own with the passage of time. They also should make sure that they don't um, do something stupid and avoid the possibility of becoming somebody who opposes God himself. In other words, Gamaliel was advising his colleagues to not simply react from an emotional place that is very unreliable. He was advising them to think through the situation objectively. Then they would realize that their present situation has many parallels in history. 
And if we were to examine those historical precedents, they might learn something from those patterns that they could apply to the present situation as well. If they do, then when history rolls further along and people look back, they would be found on the right side of history in this situation as well, right? This is exactly why we are talking about Gamaliel and his advice to the Sanhedrin 2,000 years ago. Because in his time, people were confused. But when the confusion was in the air, Gamaliel was able to look at the situation not emotionally, but objectively with the understanding of history and come back to a decision that when you looked at 2000 years later too, you would find the wisdom in that decision, right? Because of Gamaliel's approach, he, is found to be, he was found to be standing on the right side of history all along. At this point, we are not told if Gamaliel was a believer. But what I observe about him is that he was an objective seeker of the truth. And he wanted to go where the facts led him. Another point Gamaliel is making is this. When you are truly unsure of something, it is better not to act or you might make a big blunder, right? In the situation facing the Sanhedrin, he said it is better not to, it is instead of doing something stupid, it is better to just set up your observation tower and observe what is happening to Jesus' followers. In time, what is not clear now will be made very clear. And then it will be time to act. So if we do these two things, if we are a sincere seeker of the truth of who Jesus is and allow the facts to lead us, and two, when we recognize whether it is the time to act or not, then when time marches on, we too, like Gamaliel, will be found to be standing on the right side of history. The biggest question that history asks is who is Jesus, right? And that is an answer that will one day be revealed when Jesus returns on the clouds and the rapture begins. At that point of time, nobody will be asking that question. Nobody will know the answer to that question. But at that point of time, it will be too late to make your decision based on that question. Now, if we have made our decisions carefully, then on that day, when history comes to a conclusion, we will be caught on the right side of history. But if we allow ourselves to be deceived today, then when history rolls along, our actions will be exposed as foolish and only worthy of eternal death. But before a Christ follower is vindicated by the ultimate and final act of history of Christ's return, there are many smaller questions that are also constantly thrown at us on a day-to-day -day basis, is it not? For example, is COVID real is a question that many were asking last year. I'm sure some people are still asking that question this year. 
1969, it was whether the moon landing was real or not. There are people who are still asking the question, is the Earth flat or not, right? Now, to discern the truth of these smaller questions too, it is important for us to follow the process that Gamaliel has demonstrated for all of us. Because if we follow the data and compare today's complex questions to the patterns of history that have occurred in the past, then what we need to do today will suddenly become obvious. And we will get the answers to today's questions right. So why is it important for a Christ follower to apply this Gamaliel thinking, as I call it, to even the lesser questions of life? Questions like, what about masks? What about vaccines? Well, because the biggest role that we have in this life as Christ followers is to be a witness to Jesus, right? But to be a witness, we also have to be taken seriously, right? So we have to be a credible witness, not just any witness. But that means that if the world has to take our witness seriously, it has to first take us seriously. People are constantly observing us to find out, find out how we think based on our own day-to-day decision-making. They're looking to see if our reasoning on a regular day-to-day basis is squishy or solid. They're looking to see if we demonstrate this solid thinking in the regular mundane areas of our life. If we do, then the world will look at us as respectable, credible thinkers who can then be considered credible in all aspects of life, even when we talk about Jesus Christ. To be a credible witness of Jesus Christ, we have to start by building a reputation of being credible in the small things. To be credible in the small things, we have to be objective in our thinking, not be driven by emotions, not let our emotions hijack what our brain needs to do. We have to make clear observations of the data, discern the patterns, compare these patterns with similar patterns from the past, and then draw our conclusions through this, carefully through the process that Gamaliel has laid out for us. On the other hand, if we come across as irrational or stupid in our day-to-day life, we're not going to be taken seriously when we talk about the big questions of life, and especially the biggest question about who Jesus is. So I do hope that this lesson from Gamaliel will help us grow in our own ability to objectively analyze the world and the tough challenges facing our lives and our community. In our time, our careful thinking will cause those around us to see us as credible people and therefore credible witnesses when we testify about Jesus Christ. But the impact of careful thinking like the Malias lasts way beyond our lifetime. If we think through our own situation well, then one day, many years later, 
those looking at us through the lens of history will say, because they thought through these things in their time, today, even all these years later, we can see the benefit of their thinking. That is what I want history books to write about us as a community. Let it be said of us that we were credible witnesses to Jesus Christ in our day and that our legacy lives on even as history marches onwards. Let us pray. A loving Heavenly Father, Lord, you're such a loving God. You so carefully package these blessings for us for all aspects of our life for all aspects of our task of witnessing you. You equip us. And so we just thank you, Lord, for all of these tools that you've given us to equip us. And pray that they will not be wasted on us, Lord, but that we will internalize them, that we will incorporate them into our thinking and our actions, and that we will be found to be credible witnesses to you, both in this time, in this age, in this generation, and even in the ages to come. So be with us, Lord, equip us, strengthen us, and use us in this manner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.